Okay, yeah. Okay, we're rolling. Like a Falmer mm-hmm. from Skyrim. Hello everyone, welcome to Exploring Middle-Earth. My name's Jay. And my name's Grant. Yes, that's Grant over there. Uh, over where? Oh, under. that's Grant under there. <laughs> say underwear. <laughs> I know, <laughs> underwear. Oh, I got oh. you to say underwear. Okay. Um, yeah, today, um, just the two of us. Last time, Zach, that was a one-time thing. One-timer yeah. with Zach. So it's back back to the basics of the two boys having fun. Two boys talking about two bros chilling in a bedroom, <laughs> five feet apart talking about Tolkien. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're talking about but for real. But for real, for real, this for is real. for real talking. Um, today we we have a special episode. I feel like every episode special, but this one's I just say special because it is. Um, we're talking about the canonical characters in. The rings oh, of power. I had no idea what you were saying with that word, but I got oh. it now. Sounded if, like you were saying bionicle for oh a second. Yeah. Canonical. Canonical. If you heard me say that and thought the same thing as Grant for the second, canonical means part of the canon. And canon is what Tolkien wrote. Yeah. The canon is like the lore. Yeah. So in the rings of power, let me talk to you for a second. Yeah. In the rings of power, there's multiple characters, just like any show or any story. There's yeah. multiple characters. Yeah. Um, and not all of them are from Tolkien's writing. So we're going to give the background and what happened to the canonical characters. So the ones from Tolkien's writing, what happened to them in Tolkien's writing. So there is a spoiler warning, kind of, because we don't exactly know what the Rings of Power is going to, what story they're going to tell. Yeah. But we're, it's a possible spoiler because we're talking about the characters and the places they were and what happened. Yeah. Plus, for the Rings of Power 2, it's going to be a compressed timeline, so it's yeah. like a lot of events that we're going to be talking about that are actually spread apart over the whole Second Age, which is like over 3,000 years, is actually going to be more like in like one probably 10-year bit or something like that. Yeah, so... Which is kind of... well. Oh, well. Yeah. So, kind of spoiler, we can't really say, though. Or we did just say. We can't really confirm, because we don't know yeah. what they're going to do. Allegedly. Alleged spoiler alert on yeah. this episode. So what we each had we we did a draft. Yeah, we had ten characters that we came up with that are featured in the show, confirmed mm-hmm. to be featured, and um, that are canonical, canonical, but just lesser known to people that maybe have not read yeah. like the timeline or the appendices or yeah. the Silmarillion or anything like that. Yeah. So if you're if yeah. you're gonna watch Lord of the or the Rings of Power and like who the heck are these people, you're in the right place. Yes. You're in good hands. Yeah. So we had 10 characters that we came up with, and we yeah, we kind of did like a draft where Jay went first, picked a character, and yes. then uh, I went, and then we kind of went back and forth until all the characters were picked. And then, um, oh, I was going to say something too. Um, oh, so yeah, so the characters are um, Anatar, which is Sauron in the Second Age, basically, is what he calls himself. Obviously, most people who've heard of Lord of the Rings have heard of Sauron, but this is Sauron in the Second Age, so many people might not know the story of him during that time. Yeah. Um, we've got Arpharazone the Golden, who was the last king of Numenor. We've got Tar Miriel, who was his queen um, and cousin. Mm-hmm. Uh, what? Um, we've got Kelebrimbor. Tolkien. Tolkien. 
We've got Celebrimbor, who was a um, a Noldoran elf of a Region. We've got King Doran the Third, and in the show he's called Prince Doran the Fourth, but he's actually just Doran the Fourth. So we've got Doran the Third and Doran the Fourth mm-hmm. in there. Um, but yeah, in the show he's called Prince Doran the Fourth. We've got um, Finrod Felagund. We've got who do you who else do you have? Tar Palantir. Oh yeah, Tar Palantir. Um. Elendil, Elendil, and a Sildor, right? Sildor, yeah. yes. Okay. Yes. Um, okay. Yeah. So, I am gonna start off by talking about Sauron in the Second Age, since his whole story kind of permeates throughout the whole. Actually, his story kind of permeates throughout the whole first three ages of the world. You know, first age. Yeah, age his story is like the backbone of wh- the characters we're gonna talk about, or he is part of pretty much each of these characters' stories. Yeah. So Grant's going to talk about Sauron through the timeline, and we're just yeah. going to weave in other characters yeah, and yeah. talk as, about them. As I talk, um, and as like new characters appear in his story, then either Jay and I will, will switch over to one of the characters we're talking about as uh, we're going through uh, Anatar's story. Yes. So, Yeah, so we'll start off with Anatar. Um, in the first stage, or actually before that even, uh, Sauron was a Maya, which or he's one of the Maiar who are like angelic beings who are just a little bit lesser than the Valar or gods. And at first he was a, a pupil of Aule, who was like the Vala of like smithing and craftsmen, and he also created the dwarves. And so he was good at crafting stuff, and he was good at smithing. And um, eventually Morgoth, or Melkor, was able to corrupt him into his service so he became one of Morgoth's like greatest lieutenants he became like a dark lord in his own right once Morgoth passed but during the first age um yeah Sauron was his like Mm -hmm. greatest lieutenant his greatest captain he did a lot of his uh right hand man type work you know just his stuff he was like the yeah Luigi to his Mario dude yeah and uh actually one of Sauron's greatest enemies in Middle-earth was uh, an elf named Finrod Felagund. Oh, yeah. So I'll have Jay talk about him right now. Yeah, so Finrod, uh, he was born in the year of the trees 1300, so that's before the first age starts. We have an episode about uh, or we, t- I think it's about the holidays and stuff, but we also talk about time, so yeah. if you want to listen to that. but so And then he dies in the first age six or 465. Yeah. So he lived a long time, but then he later came back to life in Valinor. Yeah. Um, which isn't as it, most elves do. Yeah. yeah. So, um, he's a Noldoran elf. Noldoran yeah. elf. And uh he's the eldest son of Finarfin and Erwin, right? Erwin. E A R Oh A R Win. A R Win. It's yeah. that two that dots over accent, it. Yeah. 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 Um and he was uh his sister was Galadriel. You've probably heard of Galadriel. Yeah. We're not talking about her today because everyone she's knows very well known, yeah. Everyone knows Galadriel. And then he was also the king of Nargothrond. Yes. Um, which I'll tell you about in a little bit. Yeah. But so um, when or b- before the, the elves were in Middle-earth, um, Melkor took the Silmarils and brought them to Middle-earth. Yeah. And then an elf named Feanor was like, hey, everybody, let's go get them. Yeah. And let's he, go. Well, he created the Silmarils. Yeah. yeah. So he's like, I want them back. Yeah, so he wants he takes an oath to take the Silmarils, Silmarils back from Morgoth, um, and uh, Finarfin, or yeah, uh, no Finrod, Finarfin's his yeah, dad. Yeah, yeah. Fin Finrod is like Finrod's, or there's multiple houses, and Finrod's like the leader of his some of his family. Yeah, and uh, his followers or whatever, and he doesn't agree with Feanor, 
uh, that he want or that they should go take him back. But he does he wants to be a good leader and not leave his people for dead. So he decides to go, um, to Middle Earth and follow Feanor. Yeah. Um, but he stays towards the back of the or he stays in the back of the group. Um, and so he goes with them and uh, there's the slaying of the kings or something. Yeah, the kinslaying. Kingslaying. Yeah. Um, which happens, but um. That's with Feanor and his people. Finarfin, or Finrod stays back. Sorry, I yeah. keep saying Finarfin. Fidrod stays stays back, so he's not part of that. Um, and so he doesn't know that happens. But um, when uh, the group encounters a figure on a rock, um, which is believed to be Mandos, yeah. the Valar, um, and he told them uh, the Doom of Mandos, a.k.a. the Prophecy of the North, and it's in consequence to the king slaying. Yeah. Um, in the Doom of Mandos, pretty much it was um, it was given as a warning of the woe that would come upon them if they continued in the rebellion against the Valar. So um, Finarfin, uh, who is his dad, mm-hmm. when they when he heard this, he decided to turn around, and many of his followers did. But Finrod, um, and the host of Fingolfin, which is another elf that he was a part of the group with, yeah. decided to continue on, and Gladriel was with them too. Yeah. So, uh. Some of the elves go back. They decide to stay in Middle Earth and continue on, and they're in the Helcarax. Is that I say that right? Hel- yeah, Helcarax. Helcarax, and that's yeah. um in the trailer. If you saw Gladriel hanging from that ice with the pick, yeah, that's where they're at. And it's just this big ice like land, whatever that they have to cross, and it takes yeah. them like thirty years to cross. Um, so once they get past that, um, Finrod reaches the Isle of Tulsirion, um which is where he founded Minas Tirith, which is not the Minas Tirith from yeah, the yeah. Lord of the Rings. Um, it's a different one. And pretty much because it just means the Minas Tirith pretty much means watchtower. Yeah. <clears throat> so it was a watchtower and um, it was eventually taken by Sauron. Grant will probably mention this, but yeah, it was yeah. taken by Sauron um, and he turned it into Tolangarhoth yep. or the Isle of the Werewolves, yeah. which is important later on yes. in fin- Finrod's story. So, um, Around first age fifty, he was with his friend Turagon, who's another elf from a different family, yeah, and which I think is his cousin technically. Yeah, yeah. And they were encamped along the bank of the river Sirion, and they were put to sleep by Olmo, who was another Valar. Yeah. And um, while they were asleep, Olmo revealed to them the hidden caves in Nargothrond. He revealed um, Nargothrond to Finrod yep. and uh, Turagon. Gondor. Yeah, Gondolin. Gondolin, yeah, sorry. Yeah. yeah. So um The Hidden Vale of Tumladen. Yeah. So I'm gonna read a quick passage. This is from uh the Silmarillion, uh the return of the Noldor chapter. <clears throat> so it says And when again thirty years passed, Turgon's son of Fingolfin left Neverest where he dwelt and sought out Finrod, his friend, upon the Isle of Island of Tulsirion, and they journeyed southward along the river, being weary, f- weary for a while of the northern mountains. And as they journeyed, night came upon them beyond the mirrors of twilight, besides the waters of Sirion, which is the river. Yeah. And they slept upon the banks beneath the summer stars. But Olmo, coming up the river, laid a deep sleep upon them in heavy dreams. And the trouble and the trouble of the dreams remained after they awoke, but neither said aught to the other. So they both got the message. But neither of them said anything to each other. And yeah. then a little bit later on in the chapter, um, this is talking about Finrod. He says, therefore, he opened his heart to Thingol, telling him of his dreams. And Thingol spoke to him of the deep gorge of the river Narog and the caves under the high far under the high Faroth 
in its steep western shore, and when he departed he gave him guides to lead them to the place of which few yet knew. Thus Finrod came to the caverns, <coughs> the caverns of Narog, and began to establish their deep halls and armories after the fashion and mansions of Menengroth. And that, and that stronghold was called Nargothron. And then later on, and then a little later, it says, There in Nargothron, Finrod made his home with many of his people, and he was named in the tongue of the dwarves Felagund. He were of caves. And that name he bore thereafter until his end. So yeah. that's where Finrod Felagund comes from. Yeah. Because um, he had uh, the uh, blue er, dwarves of the Blue Mountain yeah. help him yeah. create Nargothrond. Um, and that was just like his kingdom yeah. where he was. Um, and so then he got the name Felagund, Felagund which is, means hero of caves. So then uh, another interesting thing about him is he was the first elf recorded to make contact with humans yeah or with men so um this is the opening chapter of or opening paragraph of the coming of men into the west and it says when 300 years and more were gone since the noldor came to beleriand in the days of the long peace finrod felugun lord of nargothran journeyed east of syrian and went hunting with malgor and mandros son of feanor but he wearied at the chase and passed on alone towards the mountains of Ariad Linden that he saw shining afar. And taking the dwarf road, he crossed Galeon in the fort of Sarn Athrard. Sarn Athrard, yeah. Yeah. And turning south over the upper streams of Eskar, he came into the north, or the north of Asuriland. Asuriand. Is that Assyria? Assyrian. Assyrian. Yeah. It's uh, like Beleriand, but it's Assyrian. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. close. I almost mm -hmm. got you. In the valley among the foothills of the mountains, below the springs of Thalos, he saw lights in the evening, and far off he heard the sound of song. At this he wondered much, for the green elves of that land lit no fires, nor did they sing at night. At first he feared that the raid of orcs had passed through the leaguer of the north, but as he drew near he perceived that it was not so, for the singers used a tongue that he had not heard before, neither that of dwarfs nor of orcs. Then Felugun, standing silent in the night shadow of the trees, looking down into the camp, there he beheld strange people." Which were men. <laughs> Which were men. Uh, Bior's men, I think it was. Yeah. Or, yeah. And um, pretty much he just goes and they're all sleeping and he grabs a, f a harper, f yeah. a good fiddle or something, and yeah. starts playing it and they wake up to it, which is kind of weird, but, yeah, you know, he does his thing. And then, mm -hmm. um, so he made the first contact with men and he yeah. was like, hey guys, how's it going? And then he learned th their language and taught them his language. Um, and then lastly with Finrod. Um, during the Dragor ba Dagor Bragolak, yeah, which is the Battle of Sudden Flame, right? Yep. Okay, yeah. Sorry, I had to burp. Okay, so during the Dagor Bragolak, Barahir and the house of of the house of Beor saved Finrod's life. And mm -hmm. Barahir, do you know who he's the dad of? Yeah. Do you want me to say? Yeah, say B it. Baron. Baron, dude. Yeah. You guys probably know Baron. Baron. If you don't, listen to our Baron and Luthien episode. Baron. Oh, I forgot we did that. Yeah. So in um. Uh, because uh, Barahir um, saved Finrod's life, he gave him gave Finrod a ring, and the ring's important later on. Not important to Finrod's story right now, but yeah, uh, it's it's a big deal ring. I forgot what it's called. Do you remember what it's called? It's the ring of Barahir, I think. Oh yeah, yeah. And Aragorn gets it later on. Yeah, but so I don't think it had a special name other than that. Yeah. So then, years after the Dragor Bag. Dra <laughs> Dagor Bagorak. You, you want to say dragon. Yeah, Dagor Bragolak. 
Barahir's son, Baron, came to Nargothrond seeking help, and Frenard went with him on the quest of the Silmarils to repay his debt. So Baron has to get the Silmarils to marry Luthien, and he yeah. um, he has to go to Tolongarahoth, which is the Isle of Werewolves. Isle of Werewolves. So yeah. I'm going to quick read Finrod's death, Yep. and then we'll move on to the rest of Grant's thing with Sauron. Yeah, well, before like he gets... Uh, I don't know where he's starting in the Silmarillion, but he gets with Baron and a few other elves. He gets to the Isle of Werewolves, and then Sauron uh, learns that they're not actually because they disguise themselves as orcs. Mm-hmm. Are you going to read that or no? No, I'm, I was just going to read right before he dies. But okay, but yeah, so he he and the elves and Baron are disguised as orcs, and they come up to the Isle. But then when Sauron realizes that they're not reporting to him as all orcs passing through that area should, then he finds out that they're not actually who they say they are, and he captures them. And then um, Finrod uh, basically like battles Sauron with like magic spells or something like that. Mm-hmm. But then Finrod is no match for uh, Sauron, or like yeah. he's barely a match. So, but Sauron ends up defeating them, and then throws all of the elves and Baron and Finrod in the dungeons, and then that's where. Yeah. yeah, and now that you say that, it that's very similar to what Sam and Frodo tried to pull with dressing up like orcs yeah. when they were getting up to Mount Doom. Yeah. So, you know, Sauron got tricked twice by people pretending to be orcs. (laughs) So, oh, also, Finrod, um, the, he never became a high king. Um, but the high kings, when, uh, they, uh, um, when, uh, Baron came to ask if they would go, Finrod was like, sure, I'll go, because I have to pay the step, but the high kings were like, no, you can't go. And Finrod disobeyed their orders because he had to repay this debt. Because he's a good guy, all around good guy. If you haven't figured yeah, that out by yeah. now. So this this is from the of Baron and Luthien chapter in the Silmarillion. It says in the pits of Sauron, Baron and Felugund lay, and all their companions were now dead. But Sauron proposed to keep Felugund to the last, for he perceived that he was a noble of the great might and wisdom, and he deemed that in him lay the secret of their errand. But when the wolf came for Baron, Felugund put forth all his power and burst his bonds. Dang, that's pretty strong. Yeah. And then he wrestled with the werewolf and slew it with his hands and teeth, which is insane, dude. Yeah. He pretty much just, he ri- just bit into the werewolf's throat or something. Yeah, like he that. just ripped it apart and bit it apart, chewed up that werewolf. Dang. Yet he himself was wounded to the death. Then he spoke of Baron, spoke to Baron, saying, I go now to my long, to my long rest in the timeless halls beyond the seas of the mountains of Amman. It will be long ere I am seen again among the uh, seen among the Noldor again, and it may be that we shall not meet a second time in the death or in life, for the fates of our kindreds are apart. Farewell. He died in the dark in Tolangarahoth, whose great tower he himself had built. So yeah. he he dies in, in his own tower. In his own tower, you know, which is kind of poetic, but you know, yeah. it's also sad. But he was he was a. He's a BA dude. He just ripped Pretty up, much, yeah. he ripped up that werewolf with his teeth. With his teeth. I don't think we'll see that in the Rings of Power. That'd be insane, though. That'd be sick. No, I don't think they're gonna focus on that part. Yeah, I don't think. I don't even know if Baron or Luthien are in it. Probably not. But yeah, so that's Finrod. He was a good guy. He was a leader, first person in, or first elf to make contact with men. Yeah, King of Nargothrond. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Galadriel's brother. Galadriel's brother. And yeah. He, uh, in the Rings of Power, there's a picture of him and in the trailer, he's the guy in all gold fighting the orcs, like yeah, surrounded by orcs. Yeah. That's Finrod. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, so Finrod was one of Sauron's adversaries, and um, Sauron overtook his tower early on in the first stage and made it into Tolangarhoth, the Isle of Werewolves, and that's where Sauron served as uh, Morgoth's lieutenant. And the where the Isle was and where the tower was, it was actually a good, like it was a, a great wide pass because the river of Sirion went through there, and mm-hmm. it was a pass between the northern mountains and the area where Morgoth lived in the north, so... It was like a good like checkpoint spot. Yeah. So anyways, um, we're going to talk about Sauron now in the second age uh, because that was the only part we had to do with the first age. So now everything will be in the second age. First age over. First age over. When so, Morgoth died, right? Yeah. That's when, when the, well, he doesn't die. But or when he goes away. Yeah. That's when the second they, age they kick him. They kick him out of the world, basically, mm-hmm. into the void. Mm-hmm. Of course, right when I had to speak, I kept burping. Wait, does the Rings of Power take place at all in the first stage? I think the first episode or two are going to show a lot of, like, um, like uh, what do you call Flashbacks? it? Flashbacks? Flashbacks. I yeah. was going to say, because Finrod died in the first stage, and all the other... I know it's, like, a condensed timeline, but Finrod is dead before any of the other characters, except for Gladriel and Elrond. Yeah. Or the elves. Before well, I think he dies before Elrond is even born, actually. But oh, really? Gilgalad. I- would be alive. Yeah. yeah. So just Gilglad and Gladriel and, Cal- and Celebrimbor actually too. Yeah. yeah. So the men and the dwarves are all not alive when yeah. Finrod dies. But um yeah, so he dies in the first age and I think what they're going to do in the Rings of Power is they'll probably just do like some flashbacks and just kind of explaining how um the elves went back to Middle-earth and stuff like that and all the whatever happened, you know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so after the War of Wrath, which is the last battle at the end of the first age, um Sauron at first he uh he kind of repented of his evil ways um because he was like well I can see yeah like obviously I was in the wrong there you I, know? Mess, I, I messed, messed up man I messed up but then once he was bidden to come back to Valinor to stand before Manwe to receive his judgment he was like eh, I don't really feel like doing that so he became scared and he fled further east into the unknown parts of Middle Earth uh forever lost seemingly and people were like well he's gone so don't need to worry about him Mm -hmm. but it wasn't until around the year 500 of the second age so 500 whole freaking years have passed that sauron appeared again in middle earth and he had come to the conclusion that the valar no longer cared about middle earth and he began to corrupt and influence the men of the east and south who had in earlier times already fallen to the dark ways of morgoth and so they were more easily susceptible to sauron's influence um, so that was like, it basically just took him a while to get back on his feet. Yeah. <laughs> you know, cause yeah, he, he was scheming. Yeah. Cause he lost obviously Morgoth, who was his leader. So now he was like, well, I guess I got to become my own leader now. Mm-hmm. Got to become my own. Guess I'll Lord. do this myself. Yeah. So he be- basically began starting like cults and stuff surrounding Morgoth and whatnot in the East and South, uh, you know, influencing them in the evil ways. And then in the second age, 882, High King Gilgalad of the Noldor sensed that some great evil power was arising in the east, and he sent out a warning to Numenor, which was um, where all the elf friends, the men of Beleriand in the first stage, they all went there. They were granted this island to live in and granted longer lives, and so that's where Numenor comes from. Mm-hmm. And they were in contact with Linden, which is Gilgalad's kingdom at the time. So he sent out a warning to them about this evil in the east. Mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not taking enough breaths. It's okay, Grant. I keep uh I keep running out. Sorry if I'm I'm gonna start just breathing out into the mic now. 
because I keep trying not to make a lot of noise, but mm-hmm. it's okay. I'm just holding my breath. Okay. Sorry if I sound like I just ran. Oh, it's okay. But I'm just talking. Okay. So around the year 1000 of the Second Age, so about 500 years after Sauron uh, came around again, um, Sauron had heard of the growing power and majesty of Numenor, and he chose the land of Mordor for a stronghold, and he began the construction Mordor. of Barad-dûr, not far from Orodruin, which is the fiery mountain that we know as Mount Doom later. Mm-hmm. And um, already possessing a large influence of the men of Middle-earth, Sauron decided to try his hand at corrupting the elves to his service because they were more powerful and, um, well, like they were not as easily killed, basically. So he yeah. was like, oh, they're perfect for like an army and stuff like that or like using as agents of evil. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so in the Second Age 1200, he put on a fair guise or form and named himself Anatar, an emissary from the Valar. And Anatar means, it's a Quenya name or Quenya word, uh, which means Lord of Gifts. Lord so of basically, gifts. he was just like he's Santa Claus. Yeah, Santa. Santa yeah. Claus. He was Santa like an Claus. elven Santa Claus. But um, basically, w- what his whole spiel was is that he was uh, an emissary of the Valar, or like especially of Aule. Um, mm-hmm. And Sauron actually did serve Aule at one point, like I was saying earlier. Um, and so he was like, supposed to be like an emissary of the Valar sent to kind of like repair all the damages done after the first stage and stuff like that and to help people like rebuild and whatnot. Yeah. And he was called Lord of Gifts because he was also very skilled in crafting and smithing and stuff like that. And so he sought to um, kind of influence the elves of Linden and Eregion. But the elves of Linden, especially Gilgalad, Círdan, and Elrond, uh, knew that he was not who he said he was, and he was actually some sort of evil spirit. Um, and then in Eregion, where Galadriel and Celeborn were living at the time, those two uh, distrusted him, but everyone else kind of was like, well, I mean, I guess we could, you know, take advantage of the gifts he's giving us and stuff like that and the, the skills we're learning from him. They're too materialistic. Yeah, man. yeah. So the leader of Eregion at the time, which was a kingdom of, well, not really a kingdom, but just like a, a, a realm mm-hmm. of Noldor elves, was Celebrimbor. Celebrimbor. And he was the grandson of Feanor and the son of Curafin. And Celebrimbor was one of the greatest uh, smiths and craftsmen all the time, like right after his father. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was the leader of the Gwythir Mirdain, which meant the uh, Guild of Jewelsmiths, I think. Guild of Jewelsmiths. So, now I got to go down to his page. Calibrimbo. Yeah. So, oh, and now I got a passage to read. Fun. Oh, this is great. I love what hearing passages. You know, I can stress me out when I have to read them, but you know, I put that on myself. But you know, I, I feel it. like I'm getting better. I feel like if you listen to like the first few episodes when I read passages to now, I feel like I'm doing a little better. Yeah, getting better. Okay. And then, and then now I don't know why I'm reading so hard. Yeah. But here we go. You know, we are just growing as podcasters. Maybe it's because I can hear myself now that we're using headphones. Maybe it's because yeah. I can hear myself and hear how loud I'm breathing. I just try and hold my breath, but yeah. I don't know. It's okay, Grant. I just like talking. And breathing. Yeah. Okay, so this passage about Celebrimbor, actually mostly just about like the second age and stuff like that, mm-hmm. um, is found in Appendix B at the end of Return of the King. Um, so I'll read a few paragraphs here right before it goes into the timeline. Um, Whoops. Okay. These were the dark years for men of Middle-earth, but the years of the glory of Numenor. 
Of events in Middle-earth, the records are few and brief, and their dates are often uncertain. In the beginning of this age, many of the High Elves still remained. Most of these dwelt in Linden, west of the Arid Luin. But before the building of Barad-dûr, many of the Sindar passed eastward, and some established realms in the forest far away, where their people were mostly Sylvan Elves. Thranduil, king in the north of, the Greenwood, of Greenwood the Great, was one of these. In Linden, north of the Loon, dwelt Gilgalad, last heir of the kings of the Noldor in exile. He was acknowledged as High King of the Elves of the West. In Linden, south of the Loon, dwelt for a time Celeborn, kinsman of Thingol, his wife, Galadriel, greatest of elven women. She was sister of Finrad Felagund, friend of men, once king of Nargothrond, who gave his life to save Baron, son of Barahir. It's crazy that we just talked about that. Yeah, it's all connected. Oh, shoot, I just lost my page. Oh, no. I just flipped it too fast. This is embarrassing. Uh, later, some of the Noldor went to Eregion upon the west of the Misty Mountains and near to the west gate of Moria. This they did because they learned that Mithril had be been discovered in Moria. The Noldor were great craftsmen and less unfriendly to dwarves than the Sindar because of, you know, some stuff that happened in the past. We could probably talk about that in a future episode. Yeah. Um, but the friendship that grew up between the people of Durin and the Elvensmiths of Eregion was closest that there has ever been between the two races. Celebrimbor was lord of Eregion and the greatest of their craftsmen. He was descended from Feanor. Like I said. Feanor. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's that's a little bit about, like, what kind of basically the realms and the people of the Second Age, and especially about Celebrimbor and the dwarves. Yeah. Um, so, Celebrimbor was a Sindarin name, which meant... Or it was composed of the words Celebrin, meaning silver-like, and power, meaning fist. And it was kind of formed silver into... Silver fist. Celebrimbor, which meant silver fist, yeah. Mm -hmm. And his Noldoran name, which was uh, Quenya words, would have likely been translated as Telpinquar. Instead of Celebrimbor, Telpinquar. Telpinquar. Yeah. That's interesting. Interesting, yeah. Um, yeah. And like I said, he was the son of Corifin, grandson of Fanor, greatest of all smiths in middle earth at the time and actually it was kind of his motivation to best his grandfather that made Celebrimbor arguably the next best craftsman in all the ages even without Anatar's guidance mm -hmm. um, I talked about some of this already so their capital city was Austin Ethiel in Eregion and that was at the I don't actually know what the river is called but it doesn't matter I think the Swan Fleet or something like that but mm -hmm. So that's where the Gwythi Myrdain, the guild is, and their capital city. And they were, like I was saying before, they were so skilled and renowned that they gained the friendship of the dwarves of Khazad Doom and because of the Mithril. And Narvi the dwarf, who was one of the dwarves of uh, uh, Durin and Moria, Khazad Doom, um, was friends with Celebrimbor, and they made the West Doors of Moria that were called the Doors of Durin. And Celebrimbor inlaid the letters and pictures with a field in which was a type or a type of like silver moonlight alloy thing. Like it was only available, like shown in the moonlight. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was made what? it was made from mithril. Is that yeah. what moon runes are made out of? Yeah, the dwarven moon sure, runes. Yeah. Nice, dude. Yeah. So when Anatar presented himself to the elves of Eregion, uh, like I said, it was only Galadriel and Celeborn that distrusted him. Celebrimbor was hard pressed because uh, he knew all the other elves distrusted him, or at least the wise ones. Um, but he also was like. Uh, he wanted to further his knowledge and his skill in smithing and stuff like that. So, and Anatar claimed he was uh, a student of Ale. Um, and so Celebrimbor's pride became the downfall of Eregion and basically the majority of the elves in Eriador. So, dang, dude. Hard on him, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. So, with, uh, with, 
Sauron's guidance, though, or Anatar, as we should call him at yes. this point, uh, the elves of Eregion forged the Rings of Power. And most they forged like a lot of like little ones that weren't very powerful. They were just kind of what I think what they were called were like merely a trifle or something like that mm-hmm. <laughs> compared to what they could do. But they had some power. And then it wasn't until Anatar started forging them with the elves that they forged the nine rings for men, the seven for dwarves, and then um, Celebrimble forged three by himself without Anatar there or without his guidance, so they weren't directly linked to Anatar. And then... Um, so these three were Nenya, the Ring of Adamant and Water, given to Galadriel. Narya, the Ring of Fire, given to Círdan and then to Gandalf. And then Vilya, the Ring of Sapphire, which was given at first to Gilgalad and then to Elrond. And their powers, basically. I think we have an episode on it, Ring's Power. Yeah. So you can kind of learn all about them there. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Because it's going to be a long episode if, long, if we talk yeah. about every little detail. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay, so that's all about Celebrimbor, other than what I'm about to finish with as I talk about Sauron. And let's see. Where did I leave off with Sauron? Oh, there we are. Okay. Yes, they forged the Rings of Power, and in. The final Rings of Power were completed in the Second Age, 1590. And ten years later, Anatar had begun his own plans of domination. In the fires of Mount Doom, Sauron forged the One Ring to rule those who bore the other rings of power. Sauron had invested most of his power in this creation, and thus rendering it extremely powerful and evil, and with it he completed the building of his dark tower, Barad-dûr. As soon as Sauron wore the One Ring, the elves were aware of his plot, and Celebrimbor ordered the three elven rings, forged without Sauron's influence, away from Eregion to be kept safe. Like I said, they went to Gilgalad, Círdan, and uh, Galadriel. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Sauron was angry that his plan had failed and waged war on the elves of Eregion and all of Eriador. Um, and that's kind of like part of his plan, too, was just to be king of the whole earth. So, that was like, he was like, I might as well start now. Mm-hmm. So the War of the Elves and Sauron began in the Second Age, 1693, and Celebrimbor was killed in combat at the capital of Eregion in Austin, Ethiel, uh, when he refused to give up the location of Three Rings. So at the very end, you know, he was he kind of a... Through. Yeah, he pulled through and he ended up dying heroically and not giving up. Um, and the elves were pushed back to the edges of the Blue Mountains, and their dwarven allies in Khazad-dûm were pushed back into their halls below the mountains. So some of these dwarven allies, which I will talk about now, mm, yes. all the way at the bottom, all the way, are King Durin the Third, who ruled at the time of uh, Sauron uh, waging war on Eriador, and mm-hmm. well, in the in the show, it's going to have Durin the Fourth is around at that time too, but he's not. Um, but Durin the Third, so King Durin the Third. Um, and I'll talk a little bit about the origins of the dwarves here so you kind of get an idea of what I'm talking about. Um, mm-hmm. So far before the first age, um, Ale the Smith, who was one of the Valar, made the dwarves to be his pupils, and he made seven uh, dwarf fathers. Um, however, life was not his to make, and he would destroy them to please Aru, who was like, well, you're not actually allowed to do that. So, mm-hmm. But Aru took pity on the seven dwarf fathers, and he put them to sleep and separated them in the far corners of Middle-earth not to awake until the elder children awoke or the elves deep breath Greg. Yeah. deep breath no I, was, I, was, I have to burp too That's a, burps are just deep breaths yeah 
Um, gassy podcast. Gassy podcast. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm about. We're gassed up. <laughs> um, the greatest of these dwarf fathers was Durin the First, or Durin the Deathless, and indeed the name Durin was found in the Old Norse uh, Dvergatel in the Poetic Edda, which was the inspiration for Tolkien's Durin and other dwarves. And Durin means sleepy in Old Norse oh, wow. because he was one of the dwarf fathers that was put to sleep. So. You know how that goes. Yeah. Um, and the dwarves had like a tradition or something like that um, among Durin's folk, especially those that lived in Khazad-dûm and Erebor in the Grey Mountains at different times, that Durin the first would be reincarnated in the line of kings as a dwarf who resembled the first Durin in face and personality. So Durin the third was the second reincarnation of Durin the Deathless, and he was the king of Khazad-dûm at the time Anatar was teaching the elves of Region. He would have been close in councils with Celebrimbor and was allied with Eregion as well. So he reigned during the uh, 1600s of the Second Age, and he was gifted the first of the Dwarven Rings of Power by Celebrimbor. And because it was gifted by Celebrimbor and not by Sauron, the ring uh, barely corrupted during the Third, and it actually increased his wealth immensely. Mm-hmm. And this was the ring that Thorin's grandfather, uh, Thror, and father, Thrain, held before um, and until it was recaptured by the necromancer who was Sauron late in the third age. So, uh, Sauron finally got that one back after a yeah. while. Um, but when Sauron attacked Eregion over the rings of power, Durin the third sent aid to the elves cause they're, you know, they're allied. And although Eregion eventually fell, uh, Durin was able to escape back into Moria and he shut the doors of Durin to the West forever. Um, but it was by the heroic actions of the dwarves that Elrond was, uh, who was, uh, sent by Gilgalad to help Eregion. It was by the heroic actions of the dwarves that Elrond was able to escape Sauron's armies, and he led his retreating elves into a curious vale to the north that he named Imladris. Mm-hmm. So, you know. Yeah. So, and then in the Rings of Power, it's going to have Prince Durin the Fourth as the son of Durin the Third. But as I was talking about, um, like with, like the compressed timeline. Yeah. Durin the Fourth was a dwarf king at in the second age, but he came like hundreds of years later after during the third. So it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Yeah. Like and you he, can't have, if yeah. you can't have two Durins at the same yeah. time because of, yeah. Cause of their tradition, how yeah. they were like reincarnated. It wasn't like, um, just cause his dad was named Doran that he was named Doran. It was more of like a sacred like thing that he was named Doran just cause his dad was named Doran. You know, mm-hmm. I wonder how they're going to, do that i don't know but it's a compressed timeline so they might just do in that because during the fourth ruled around the time of the war of the last alliance when sauron was actually defeated at the end of the second age mm-hmm. um but yeah he was another reincarnation of Doran. um let's see what else there's not a lot on him other than he ruled at the time of war of the last alliance in which he allied himself with the elves of linden and rivendell and the men of gondor and arnor um, and also the Dwarven Ring of Power that was gifted to Durin Third was also transferred father to son as an inheritance. Um, kind of like how Thror gave it to Thrain and then it ended up being taken by Sauron. But yeah, mm-hmm. it was, so it, it was evident that it was passed down. So it was likely that Durin Fourth also held this ring. Yeah. Um, so that's all I have on the Dwarves of Khazad-dûm. Lesser known characters. I gotta find my spot back. Where I'm excited Sauron about the was. the dwarves and the rings of power. Yeah, I am too. I was actually researching a lot about dwarves today, and I'm like, yeah, I th- I think dwarves are one of the most underappreciated like races of Middle Earth. 
because mm-hmm. Tolkien actually has a lot about their history in like some of his writings and stuff, but most people like focus on like Gondor or like the elves and the Silmarillion and stuff like that. But the dwarves actually have a lot of cool history. And I, I feel like Tolkien did the most with inspiration, like directly pulling from Norse mythology yeah, with yeah. the dwarves as compared to like the elves and stuff. There's more like direct correlations between yeah. Norse mythology, which is what Tolkien was a big fan of. Yeah. Okay. So I found my spot where Sauron was. Okay. That's so good. Um, like I was saying, Eregion fell and the dwarves retreated back into Moria and some of the elves were still wandering around, like tre- retreating back to Linden, but Gilgalad was not done yet. And he had sent out word to Numenor, Num- <laughs> I said that weird, <laughs> I accented that weird. He sent out word to Numenor and, um, they returned by bringing like a whole fleet of ships and a, like a large army to middle earth where they had already established a few like coastal harbors and stuff. And so they... They came to Middle-earth, and they quickly expelled Sauron from the west of Middle-earth. And uh, But Sauron had already captured some of the Rings of Power during the war, and he was dismayed by his defeat at the hands of the Elves of the Men of the West, and he distributed his rings to nine men and seven dwarves, hoping, well, one of the dwarves was already given a ring, but, you know, hoping to ensnare them in his evil ways. So the dwarves became greedy, but were mostly resistant to corruption, like I was saying. Mm -hmm. And the men had long lives, but eventually faded and reappeared as the nine ring wraiths in the second age, 2251. So after a long while, the proud Numenorians returned to Middle-earth to get rid of Sauron once and for all. Because, you know, uh, Sauron was kind of posing like a a large threat to their coastal harbors Mm -hmm. like they had established. And so by the time of, uh, well, it actually had been going on for a while, but um, Tar Palantir was, Mm -hmm. he was the last king to repent of the evil ways because the Numenorans became proud and greedy Mm -hmm. um, and wanted to kind of establish dominance over all of Middle-earth now that they were kind of overrun their own island. And Tar Palantir was kind of one of the last of the good kings who repented of the evil ways and tried to get back, like, to worshiping the Valar again. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Jay, you can talk about Tar Palantir real yeah, quick. Yeah, so Tar Palantir, born Second Age 3035, and then died Second Age 3250, or 3255, so just over 200 years. He was an old guy. Um, and he was the 24th king of Numenor, so he had a a few come before him and only one after which Grant will talk about the guy after so I'm going to try to say his original name I don't know if I can I haven't tried it I wrote it down though his original name is Inzaladun oh yeah Inzaladun Inzaladun that was a lot closer that was really yeah that was really good so his original name was Inzaladun and his father Ar Gimlizor 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 like many of the kings of Numenor like Grant said did not like the Valar or the elves and they spoke harshly against them. Um, so then his mother, Inzilabeth, um, which is similar to Elizabeth, but oh. just Inzilabeth, uh, she was part of the faithful. And what the faithful were in Numenor were the um, those who remained loyal to the Valar, who maintained a frong sh- frong, strong friendship with the elves and preserved the old ways against the pra- practice of Arpharazon and Sauron. Um, so Talpalantir, or par Palantir, Tar Palantir, um, 
He sought to repent the actions of his predecessors, the previous kings, um, and took the royal name in the Elvish tongue Quenya, uh, um, and then in the tradition of his ancestors, which is Tar, tar Palantir. That's why um, he's not called Inziladun. Um, but as and, and so Palantir uh, means far seeing, I think. Yeah, because yeah. there's the Palantirs that um, those like little glass you balls, put your hand yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah, so he let the faithful live in peace, and he tended to the white tree, which is not something that um, the previous kings were doing because yeah. it was important to the Valor and the Elves. Um, and he followed the ancient practices honoring Eru Iluvatar, which is like the creator of yeah. Arda. Um, but no matter how, how hard he tried, there was no response from the Valar. Um, in the view of Tolosera from the Tower of Tar Minister was shrouded, so... It never really worked out for him. Yeah. He tried, but the they dug themselves in too deep of yeah, a hole. Yeah, they kind of shut the Valar kind of shut the way against yeah. the Numenorians. They got a little too deep. Yeah. So, um he had a daughter, but before we move on to that, there's another important guy that steps in between him and his daughter when Tar yeah. Palantir yeah. dies. Yeah. So when Tar Palantir dies, uh his daughter becomes queen. We can talk about her in a sec. Yeah. Um Actually, I think you can probably talk about her right now. You want me to talk about yeah. her right now? I think yeah. that would make more sense. Yeah, so she was born second age, 3117, and died second age, 3319. And like we just said, she was a daughter of Tar Palantir. And I forgot to mention this, if you're confused. Tar, at the start of the names, T-A-R, it's T-A-R dash, and then their name, was a Quenyan title taken on by the Numenor rulers, meaning, meaning high as in royal or noble. Yeah. So it's like saying... Same, same with the later A-R, R. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, it was kind of the same, but that was more of the Numenorian uh, instead of Quenya. Yeah, so it's just a way to show rank, yeah. pretty much. Um, so she was set to become the fourth ruling king of Numenor by the law of succession, but after her father's death, her cousin Farazon... Or Farazon, sorry. Yeah. Took her unwillingly as his wife um, and seized the scepter of Numenor for himself, taking the title of Ar Farazon the Golden. Um, and he gave her the name Ar Zimpharel. Yeah. Um, so he changed her name, took her, took his cousin, unwillingly changed her name, dude. The yeah, got rid, of, got rid of her Quenya name and gave her a, a Numenorian name. Yeah. So basically saying, like, screw off to the Valar. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm going to skip ahead a little bit in the Numenorean thing, um, but Grant will probably explain a little more why this happens. But yeah. So Numenor sunk. Sorry, I just <laughs> spoiled it for you guys. What? So Numenor sunk, and uh, Tarmiriel was the um, of the people who died in it, because some people did escape. She was the last yeah. to die. Yeah. And it's because she tried to um, ascend the mountain of... Menel Tarma. Menel Tarma, but she yeah. didn't make it. So I'm going to read about her death. Pillar of Heaven is what it means. Oh, really? I didn't know yeah. that. Dang, dude. So this is from the Akalabath, which is in the Cimmerillion. Mm -hmm. In an hour unlooked for by men, this doom befell on the 9th and 13th day since the passing of the fleets. Then sudden fire burst from the Menel Tarma, and there came a mighty wind in the tumult of the earth, and the sky reeled in the... <clears throat> and the hill slid, and Numenor went down into the sea with all its children and its wives and its maidens and its ladies proud, and all its gardens and its halls and towers, its tombs and its riches and its jewels and its webs and things painted and carven and its lore. They vanished forever. And at last, of all the mounting wave, green, cold, plumped with foam, climbing over the land, it took, it took to its bosom, bosom Tarmiriel, the queen, fairer and 
than silver or ivory pearls. Too late she strove to ascend the steep waves of mental tarma in the holy place, for the waters overtook her, and her cry was lost in the roaring of the wind. So she, when Numenor sunk, she was like, I'm going to get up to this top place. And she tried to go, but she couldn't make it. And it's just like in the movies when the ship's sinking and the people get on the very top mast. Yeah, just to survive a little bit longer. And then they just stay there and then yeah. it goes under. That's pretty much what happened to her, except for the water was coming up instead of the ship going down. Yeah. But, yeah, so Numenor sunk. So um, she's, it seems like she's going to be a big part of the Rings of Power. Yeah, um, they she, they show her a lot in the, yeah. the trailers. She doesn't she, in the um, trailer and probably in the sh- or definitely in the show. She'll meet Galadriel and talk to Galadriel. I'm pretty sure she's showing Galadriel Palantir yeah, in the yeah. trailer, which um, Galadriel never came to Numenor. Yeah, and so, so Tar- that's, that's one of the things that's already off. Yeah, yeah. so Tarmiriel never left Numenor yeah. either. So, and I'm assuming that Galadriel comes to Numenor because she had because she's being shown the Palantir. Yeah. So I don't think Tarmiel leaves Numenor to visit Gladriel. Yeah. So that never happens, but but what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? Maybe it'll be good. I don't know. Eh, but we'll see. So I did mention earlier our Farazon who yeah took the throne from her. Grant's gonna talk about that. Yeah. So now now I'll talk about our Farazon the Golden. Okay. So our Farazon was the twenty fifth and last king of Numenor, and he was the son of Gimilcad. And uh, if you remember, Jay was saying uh, Tar Palantir's father was Ar-Gimilzor. Mm-hmm. And Ar-Gimilzor had two sons. One of them was uh, Inziladun, also known as Palantir. And the other was Gimilcad. Gimilcad uh, obviously never became king because he was the younger son. But his son was Farazon. And Farazon seized his opportunity by marrying um, uh, Palantir's daughter, Queen Tarmiriel, and he became Arpharazon the Golden. So he basically usurped the throne through his cousin. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like Jay was saying too, he changed her name to the Adunaik, which is Numenorean language, Zimrafel. And in his pride and jealousy and fear of dying, he became arrogant and ignorant towards the Valar, wishing for immortality. So now I have another passage to read. That's good. Man, the crown weighs heavy, dude. Crown weighs, crown weighs heavy, dude. Look at this. I was going to say scroll, but I have to flip. That'd be sick if you got a scroll edition of the Lord. Yeah. That'd be a long scroll, though. be a sick scroll. That'd be like those... Remember in, like, first grade, you had the reading scrolls? And you'd oh, fill yeah. it out, and you'd get a super long scroll. Yeah. That'd be sick. Uh, so this comes from Appendix A, which is the Annals of Kings and Rulers. Um, and it's talking about the uh, rulers of... Uh, the rulers of Numenor. Numenor. So, the kings and their followers, little by little, abandoned the use of the Eldaran tongues, and at last the 20th king took his royal name in Numenorean form, calling himself Ar Adunakor, Lord of the West. This seemed ill omen to the faithful, for hitherto they had been given the title only to one of the Valar, or to the elder king himself. And indeed, Ar Adunakor began to persecute the faithful and punish those who used the elven tongues openly, and the Eldar came no more to Numenor. The power and wealth of the Numenorians nonetheless continued to increase, but their years lessened as their fear of death grew, and their joy departed. Tar Palantir attempted to amend the evil, but it was too late, and there was rebellion and strife in Numenor. When he died, his nephew, leader of the rebellion, seized the scepter and became King Ar-Farazon. 
Our fair zone, the golden, was the proudest and most powerful of all the kings, and no less than the kingship of the world was his desire. He resolved to challenge Sauron the Great for the supremacy in Middle-earth, and at length he himself set sail with a great navy, and he landed at Umbar. So great was the might and splendor of the Numenorians that Sauron's own servants deserted him, and Sauron humbled himself, doing homage and craving pardon. Then Arpharazan, in the folly and his pride, carried him back as a prisoner to Numenorian, or to <laughs> Numenor. It was not long before he had bewitched the king and was master of his council, and soon he had turned all the hearts of the, all the Numenorians, except the remnant of the faithful, back towards the darkness. And Sauron lied to the king, declaring that everlasting life would be his who possessed the undying lands, and that the ban was imposed only to prevent the kings of men from surpassing the Valar. But great kings take what is their right, Sauron said. At length, Arpharazon listened to this counsel, for he felt the waning of his days, and it was besotted by the fear of death. He prepared then the greatest armament that the world had seen, and when all was ready, he sounded his trumpets and set sail, and he broke the ban of the Valar, going up with war to wrest everlasting life from the lords of the west. But when Arpharazon set foot upon the shores of Amman the Blessed, the Valar laid down their guardianship and called upon the one, who was Eru Iluvatar, and the world was changed. Numenor was thrown down and swallowed in the sea, and the Undying Lands were removed forever from the circles of the world. So ended the glory of Numenor. That was good. You know what? Let's let's take an ad break before we move yeah, on well, to the next Yeah, I was going to say. Good idea, dude. Thanks, yeah. 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 Hey everyone, have you been wondering where you can see the behind the scenes of this podcast or correct us when we inevitably get something wrong on the podcast? Well, I'm here to let you know. You can find us on Instagram at exploringmiddle underscore earth or on Twitter at expmiddleearth. If you don't want to look those up, links to both of those will be in the show notes. Uh, okay, so continuing on, welcome back. Um... I figured out my problem. I think I'm just talking right next to the mic, and it's not. I'm Grant's not, problem is he's talking <laughs> into the mic. I'm not getting. <laughs> I'm not getting a lot of air intake. So yeah. maybe we'll hook you up to an oxygen machine while yeah. we do the podcast. So I don't. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have to actually breathe for myself. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So what I was talking about was uh, our fairs on the golden, and how in his pride and folly he. Uh. Well, first of all, he conquered Sauron basically, and Sauron being very deceptive and cunning, he went along with it. And he ended up uh, persuading the king and becoming his greatest counselor. And he uh, persuaded and convinced the Numenorians, at least those of the king's followers, to worship Morgoth and the darkness. And they chopped down the white tree, um, oh, no. which uh, Tar Palantir actually made a prophecy about uh, like the line of the kings would end once the white tree was cut down. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's part of the reason why he... Uh, tended to it yeah more yeah um and then uh sauron in its place he set up uh like a like a temple to worship morgoth and they actually sacrificed people there mostly people of the Ooh, faithful not so. good that's not good yeah so Never um, good. sauron was doing his dirty work in numenor from behind the scenes and like i was saying in the passage he convinced uh our pharaoh to basically attack the valar and take the immortality from them so that he can live forever and become the greatest king. Mm-hmm. And Numenor is swallowed, but um, 
Farazone at first was actually hesitant to cut down the white tree when Sauron suggested it because of the prophecy. Um, but when, when it was finally, when it finally came time to, um, Isildur heard of the plot to cut down the tree. Mm-hmm. Um, so he went to, uh, do something about it. So how about you talk about right now, Elendil and Isildur? Okay. Yeah. So Elendil, who is Isildur's dad. Um, so I'll talk about Elendil first. Um, so Elendil born in second age, 3119 in Numenor died in second age, 3441. So he was alive during all of this. So Elend, just to put it in perspective, Elendil and Isildur, Isildur are alive during all this that's Grant's talking about with yeah. our Farazone. Um so he was the son of Am- Amendul, um, who was the Lord of An Andunai. Andunie. Andunie. And yeah. yeah, okay, that was bad man. Andunie. And he was the leader of the faithful. So yeah. he started out. So um Amendil knew what was gonna happen with Numer, so he told Elendil to gather the faithful and help them escape to Middle Earth because he Knew because there was the uh, uh, Sauron was sacrificing the faithful. Yeah, he's like, let's just get out of here. So I'm gonna quick read a passage from the Cimmerillion. You know, that's where I'm all I'm reading from. That's all I do, man. That's all I do, man. This is from the Calabas again. Um. Uh. So nine ships they were for Friolendil and for Isildur three and for Anar Anaron two. Anarion. Anarion yeah. two, which is uh his other son. Yeah. Um. And they fled before the black gale out into the twilight of doom and into the darkness of the world. And the depths rose beneath them in the towering anger. And the waves, like unto mountains moving with great caps of withering snow, bore them up amid the wreckage of the clouds. And after many days cast them away upon the shores of Middle Earth. And all the coasts, seaward region, all the coasts and seaward regions of the western world suffered great change in the ruin of that time. For the seas invaded the lands and shores foundered. And ancient isles were drowned, and new isles were uplifted, and hills crumbled, and rivers were turned into strange courses. So, um, when that's talking about how Numenor sank and it, everything yeah. changed. But so Elendil and his sons escaped with some some of the faithful. Um, so not like I said, not everybody died in uh, Numenor. But so yeah. when I'm gonna, t- do you want me to talk about when he landed? And what they did after? Or do you, are you going to... Yeah, I'm pretty much done with Farazone. Because uh, I talked about how he, you know... Well, okay, so he he dies in uh, Amon, the Blessed Realm. Because oh, yeah. uh, when, once he sets foot, like I was saying, uh, Numenor was swallowed up. And then also um, the Valar called upon Eru Iluvatar. And he opened up a chasm where the Numenorean army was. And it swallowed them whole. Yeah. And closed it. It's kind of like... A um. Uh, who parted the the Red Sea? Moses, Moses parted the Red Sea, yeah. and then he just you know similar right on the Egyptian army. Yeah. So actually, that's probably is very similar. That's probably a. a I mean, because Tolkien was a devout Catholic, so he probably mm-hmm. got some inspiration for that. And also, I was thinking because you were talking about how Isildur and Anarion and Elendil went to Middle Earth in their ships and stuff. Mm-hmm. That almost sounds to me like Noah, Noah's Ark. Noah's yeah. Ark, like how he brought like basically the last people alive and they repopulated the earth. They were basically, basically, basically. they're basically the last Numenoreans yeah. and they repopulated. 
Well, now that I think about it, uh, who was it? Um, let me see. Who did it? Mandos in Olmo giving the prophecies. Um, that's kind of similar to, to like the burning bush. Oh right, yeah. And angels coming in dreams. You know, we could probably do a whole episode on the b- biblical. Yeah, biblical. Well, yeah, because that it. was one thing we we talked about mythology mm-hmm. and literary inspirations for Tolkien, but we never talked about theological inspirations. That'd be for fun. Tolkien. We should do that. But yeah, I guess we could do that too. Yeah. Yeah. So before I move on to what happened when they landed in Middle Earth, I'm gonna talk about his son Isildur and what he was doing in Numenor. So, um, born in Second Age, thirty-two nine or 09, died in Third Age two. <laughs> so he made it to Third Age. So he was the eldest son of Elendil, and he grew up in Numenor when all this was happening. Yeah. But he wasn't like a little kid; he was an adult by the time all this was happening. So Isildur, I I don't know why it's such a hard thing for me to say. Isildur learned that Sauron wanted Arpharazone to cut down Nimloth, the white tree. Um, And uh, and it was a tree that had come come from the Undying Lands. So Isildur disguised himself and went secretly to the king's court and took fruit from Nimloth. And the guards discovered and attacked him. And although receiving grave injuries, he managed to escape with the fruit. For his deed, Isildur received much praise, and he stood near death for many months. But when the fruit of the white tree began to sprout, he awoke and was recovered from his injuries. So he gets fruit, uh, which has seeds in it, if you understand fruit. Fruit has seeds in it. um, From the white tree, so he was able to replant it, transplant it, um, and save what... Or not the original white tree, but part of it. So, um, uh, he, so going back to Elendil, when they came to Middle Earth, um, I just think it's really cool. It's a cool quote. So when Elendil landed at Middle Earth, he made a proclamation. Um, and this is it translated into common speech or man speech. Man speech. Okay. Out of the great sea to Middle Earth I am come, the place I will abide, and my heirs, unto the ending of the world. And then he became the first king of Gondor. So Gondor was already established, uh, like we said before, with Finrod. Um, uh, Turgon founded uh, Gondor, but um, when Elendil came, he said, hey, I have the right to rule you guys. And like, that sounds good. Okay, you that sounds the, good. <laughs> sounds good. Um, so he became the first king of Gondor. And um, uh, so stuff happened, you know, just time passed. But then in Second Age 3434, um, Elendil and the elven high king Gilgalad um, combined their armies into the last alliance of elves and men. Um, so this is what you, the last alliance of elves and men is what you see at the start of the Lord of the Rings movie. Yeah. The Fellowship of the Ring, the preface. Um so, uh, you know, a little spoiler. I don't know if Graham's going to talk about this, but after defeating Sauron's armies and advancing into Mordor itself, the armies of elves and men s- uh, settled into the siege of the main tower of Sauron. And then after seven years of siege, which is a long time to siege. Yeah. Uh, so second age, 3441, Sauron came out personally to do battle with his enemies. He's like, okay, this just got personal. Yeah, yeah he's like, what he was thinking. If you can't, if you can't get it done, do it yourself. Right. And so he came out and Elendil together with Gilglad overthrew Sauron, but they're both killed, you know, in the process. Whoopsies. They bit the dust, dude. But, 
Um, Elendil's sword, Narsil, broke Dang. when he fell. So I'm going to quick read. Um, oh, this is from the appendix of Lord of the Rings. This is just a quick timeline of what happened. So, um, 3429, Sauron attacks... Oh, wait, this is Appendix B, um, and this is just like a timeline. A timeline, yeah. And this yeah. is the end of the Second Age. Sauron attacks Gondor, takes Minas Isil, and burns the White Tree. Isildur escapes down the Anduin and goes to Elendil in the north. How do you pronounce the brother's name? Anarian. Anarian yeah. defends Minas Arnor in Asgoliath. In the 3430, the last alliance of elves and men are formed. 3431, Gilgalad and Elendil march east to Imledris. Imledris, yeah. yeah. And then 3434, the host of alliance of the alliance crosses the Misty Mountains, the battle of Dagorlad, and the defeat of Sauron, the siege of Barad-dur begins. So that is all happening. And I think uh, when Sauron... Uh, captures Menas Ithil and he burns the white tree. I think a Sildor again takes a fruit from mm-hmm. the tree before it's burned and it's then like, replants gotcha again. and replants <laughs> it in Menas Arnor, which becomes Minas Tirith. You know what he should do? He should take two fruits next time and plant two of them. Yeah. <laughs> and then he could make a business. You take two plants from each tree. Yeah. Then like, you just double it, dude. Yeah. It's like a tree farm. Yeah. So um come get your white tree. Yeah. So Elendil is dead. Dang, poor guy. Elendil the tall. I think he was the tallest of all men. Yeah, is what it was said. Yeah, or besides like two war in the first stage, but he was the tallest of all men. Yeah, but do you know who's not dead? His son Isildur. Oh, crazy. Um, so once Isildur came to Middle Earth, uh, he lived in Minas Ithil, to the east of the Anduin, and he and his brother ruled from their joint capital in Osgoliath, and that's where, like Grant said, he planted the white tree of Gondor before his house there. Um, in Minas Isil was a beautiful city, um, but it was also a stronghold to defend against the evil that might still dwell in Mordor. Yeah, which it was did like, still it was dwell. like right on the border of Mordor too. So yeah, the border of Mordor. Yeah, so Sauron attacked and captured Minas Isil. Isildur escaped with his wife's sons, wife's and sons, and seedlings of the White Tree, like Grant said. Yeah. Um, and so Isildur and his family boarded in the ships of the mouths of the Anduin and sailed around the coast of Middle Earth, seeking Elendil. In Arnor. And then Isildur fought in the last alliance with his dad. Yeah, but he survived. Yeah, he survived. And um, as you guys probably all know, he took the shards of Narsil, his dad's sword that was broken, and he cut the ring, uh, the one ring from Sauron's hand. Um, and then I'm just going to read the fate of Isildur, because you know it's famous. Right, right, right. And you guys probably know this, but it's just a, it was a good read. So then Gilgalad and Elendil passed into Mordor and encompassed the stronghold of Sauron, and they laid siege to it for seven years and suffered a grievous loss by fire and by darts and bolts of the enemy, and Sauron sent many stories against them. There in the valley of Gargaroth, Anaron, son of Elendil, was slain, and many others. By the last siege, he was, the last siege was so straight that Sauron himself came forth, and he wrestled with Gilgalad and Elendil, and they were both were slain, and the sword of Elendil broke under him as he fell. But Sauron also was thrown down, and with the hilt shard of Narsil, Isildur cut the ruling ring from his hand of Sauron and took it for his own. Then Sauron was for that time vanquished, and he forsook his body, and his spirit fled far away and hid in waste places, and he took no visible shape again for many long years. So Isildur has the one ring now, and then... 
He has it for a few years, um, but he doesn't understand the power of it. And then it says, But Isildur was overwhelmed by a host of orcs that lay wait in the misty mountains, and they descended upon him at unawares in his camp between the Greenwood and the Green and the Great River, uh, nigh of Leogningloron, the Gladden Fields. Yeah, yeah. And he was heedless and set no guard, deeming that all his foes were overthrown. There while nigh all his people were slain, among them were his three elder sons, Elendur, Aratan, and Kirion, but his wife and youngest son, Valendil, and he was left and left in Imladris when he went to war. Isildur himself escaped by means of the ring, for when he wore it, he was invisible to all eyes, but the orcs haunt, hunted him by scent and slot until he came to the river and plunged in. There the ring betrayed him in a vengeance maker, for in and it slipped from his finger as he swam, and it was lost in the water. Then the orcs saw him as he labored in the stream, and they shot him with many arrows, and that was his end. Only three of his people ever came back over the mountains after long wandering, and of these, one was Othar, his esquire, esquire to whose keeping he had given the, the shards of the sword of Lendil. And then that starts the Lord of the Rings. Yes. So yeah. So I've got a little, a little bit more, a little bit though. A little bit more. Yeah. So basically, just to round off Sauron's story for the end of the Second Age, we've uh, talked about all of our characters that we wanted to talk about. But like Jay was kind of saying, there was the War of Last Alliance when the men of uh, Numenor came over to Middle Earth, and they founded Gondor and Arnor and all that sort of stuff. Elendil, Sildur, and Arian. Um, and so, yeah, and Sauron also, he comes out and uh, fights with Elendil and Gilgalad, kills them both, but also he's defeated. Seldor cuts off the ring, and without the ring, he kind of loses his physical form and is kind of vanquished. And he isn't seen again um, in Middle-earth. Like, he kind of flees east, his spirit does. Mm-hmm. Um, he isn't seen again for another thousand years in the Third Age. So, pretty much, the War of the Last Alliance was like his like a huge downfall for him. Like he wasn't able to recover. Like if you remember, like he wasn't able, he fled after the first stage, he fled and started gaining power about 500 years. But this one, he didn't start gaining power again until like another thousand years. So this one was really a big one. This was embarrassing, dude. Big L for him. He was so. killed by a man yeah. and an elf, but still embarrassing. Embarrassing. So that's kind of uh rounding out that was kind of an interesting uh like format that we tried doing i don't know if it worked out it did a little bit but i think it worked pretty good i think it worked um in some ways i think we should probably just plan it out a little bit more because i suggested it like like just today so yeah but it was nice having like the story going through and then it break off but i always get excited when we go through the siren story and you get to Isildur because that's the Star Lord of the Rings. And yeah, you're like, oh, like we're too, in yeah. for a good treat now. Good treat, man. In for a good um, treat. Jay, I've got some trivia questions. I got trivia too. How many do you have? I've got three. Oh, good. I have three too. But I would so. say two of them are pretty easy. So wait, why don't you guess how many I will get right? You can say zero. Three. You can say zero. I, think I don't you can care. Get, okay, I think you can get all three. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. So I'll save the hardest one for last, but I don't okay. think it's super hard. Um, what relation were Arpharazone and Tarmiriel? Cousins, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Uh, when Elrond was aided indirectly by the dwarves during, uh, you know, the battle in Eregion, 
and he escaped to the north, what place did he find? Rivendell? Yep. Yes. Well, well, you never said Rivendell. You said the I don't know Im- what the other Imladris. Imladris. Yeah. Okay. It was called Rivendell. Okay. Yeah. Um, and this is the hardest one, but I think you'll get it. What member of the Valar did Anatar slash Sauron claim to serve? Um, and then Sauron actually did serve before he was corrupted. Oh, I'll I. If you can't remember his name, I will let you use like what he was the Valar of. I know he was Valar of like smithing right or yeah. create creating things yep. i don't know his name Aule. Aule. yeah okay so I'll, I'll let you get that one though because no i'll was, take yeah. a half point for that because i i didn't i would have never gotten his name okay so two and a half two and a half sure you that know sounds good okay i got three except for i just chose these three at random so i don't know if the, which ones are hard and which one are okay. easy I'll, i know this one should be easy um we'll see so finrod when he Dang. gets encountered in the prophecy he encounters a figure on a rock. Who do they believe the figure on the rock is? Which Valar? Mandos. Mandos, yeah. yeah. Good, that was easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, another Finrod question. Okay. But the second half, Felagoon. What does Felagoon mean? Hewer of caves. Good, it's dude. It's a dwarven word. Yeah. And then this one should also be easy. Okay. Um, the Quenian title Tar, taken by the Numenor ruling kings, meant what? High or noble. Yes. Good job, Grant. Sweet. Good job. Both three for three. Yeah. Easy, man. Easy dub, man. Easy dub. Do okay. you have Middle-Earth Current Events? I do. Well, why don't we go to... But it's just like one little one. Well, that's okay. But that's okay. What? That gives us a chance to use our Middle-Earth Current Events theme thing. Which is going to play right now. Okay, welcome to Middle Earth Current Events, which are current events on this earth pertaining to Middle Earth. Yes, the works good of job, Tolkien. Yeah. Good job. So, it's kind of to do with Rings of Power, but also not. Like, there's no new trailers or anything like that that have come out. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm getting excited even more because, what day is it? It's August 8th when we're recording this, so it's even closer to the release of Every Rings, day. Every Rings second is closer to Rings of Power. Every single Damn. second. Yeah. <laughs> closer. But um, uh, a new interview with Peter Jackson. I don't have like the whole article. I just kind of transcribed it. But uh, a new interview with Peter Jackson, who uh, directed the PJ. Lord of, yeah PJ PJ directed the Lord of the Rings trilogy and the Hobbit trilogy. Um, says he was ghosted by Amazon. <laughs> Ooh. And if you don't know what ghosted means, which hopefully you do, it basically just means when you're in contact with someone, and then all of a sudden they just stop talking to you. Yeah, it's just yeah, fancy word for that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's fancy, but get ghosted. It's like, you know modern slang like this. So I'm talking to Grant right now. So yeah, yeah like, Grant's talking to me, and then I tried talking to him again, and then all of a sudden, Jay, you you want to hang out, man? I guess and that's got, it, dude. I just, I just ghosted, ghosted Grant yeah. live on the podcast. Dang. Okay, so <laughs> uh, according to Peter Jackson, he was. Uh, approached by Amazon like Prime Video and he was asked if he'd like to be a part of the production and filmmaking for The Rings of Power but uh, he declined as of that moment because he hadn't seen any of the scripts or any of the writing mm-hmm. so he's like well I want to know what it's about first before I actually you know join um, good for him though you know stand by his word no. um, but he also said that he'd be more than willing to be a part of it once he saw some scripts and uh, got to uh, got to that so amazon said that they would send him the first few drafts um so he could look at them but after 
like quite a few months like I, it might have even been like a year or so they never contacted him oh, and no. he was like uh, the heck the heck um so he was a little but disappointed he has the new zealand accent so yes yeah, so he doesn't say the heck it was uh i don't know i'm trying to think of it's I can, kind of australian but i not. have to i have to get into uh there's this one comedy bit that I've watched before where someone was like comparing Australian and New Zealand accents mm-hmm. and they were talking about like uh like the deck of a pool or something like that. So um within with an Australian accent he, he kind of talks like about the deck around the pool. Or that was kinda of weird, but it's, with, it's with a New so. Zealand accent, it's more nasally, and he talks about the deck around the pool. The deck around the yeah. pool. So he he would have he would have said he would have said, uh, oh, I was a little disappointed, but uh, I've kind of lost it there. But Hey, that's okay. That's, that's okay. better than I could Whatever. do. I had it for a sec. Yeah. Um, anyway, so Jackson says he was a little disappointed that they had never contacted him again, but he's also he was also saying he's kind of thrilled to be able to enjoy a Tolkien adaptation as a fan yeah. instead of a filmmaker. Because as a filmmaker, he was saying you kind of have to like what you made or else it's not really, there's no point in making it, you know? Mm-hmm. So, but he's like, now I actually get to experience it and have an opinion on it without, you know, like working on it basically. Yeah. So he's excited that he gets to enjoy it as a fan because he's always been a fan of Tolkien. That's why he made Lord of the Rings, you know? So, mm-hmm. yeah. So that's, that's just one little current event that's that happened. Yeah. I did see a headline that um, the Tolkien estate asked uh Amazon to not include uh Peter Jackson in ma- the making of it so maybe that's why they ghosted him. Oh, that could be. Yeah. They asked him not that. to be part of it yeah. or not involved with the project. That's interesting. Which cuz I I don't think they th- um the Tolkien State was like thrilled with Peter Jackson's adaptation. Yeah. Which is I mean I I don't think th- I don't know. It's just weird cuz Peter Jackson did a pretty good job. He yeah. did change some things and leave some things out, but with the Lord of the Rings trilogy, at least mm-hmm. it was pretty good, though. Yeah, and I feel like they're they're probably more open minded to Amazon first because there's a lot more money. Yeah, and second yeah. because they don't have like a um, set in stone story that they have to follow like Peter Jackson did. Yeah, that's so true. they can take more creative liberties. Yeah. Okay. But you know, because I feel like Peter Jackson too, he'd be more like follow exactly what's in the book. Or, like, mm-hmm. what's in the lore and stuff like that. Like, don't change anything. Mm-hmm. So, maybe because there's more money thrown around, um, the Tolkien estate is a little more, like, re- like, like able to let Amazon do their own thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. or maybe Am- they're, they contacted him before they wrote the scripts, and they're like, this is a good idea. And then they s- they were like, okay, let's do the scripts. And they s- were like, okay, this has nothing to do with, this doesn't follow the lore. Like, maybe we shouldn't get Peter Jackson involved, because he's going to yeah. be mad. Yeah. Which, you know... I don't know. I feel like the hype of the people hating on it is dying down a little, but I don't know. Yeah. I think it's just gotten quieter. Like, people, it's not as big of a thing. Yeah. We'll just have to wait and see. There's this one YouTuber named uh, George the Giant Slayer who's, like, a huge Tolkien fan, and he's, mm-hmm. like, he's adamant that the Rings of Power has to follow, like, every single, like, detail from the books exactly, which... If he's a big fan of Tolkien, he should know that even like the Lord of the Rings trilogy was not following it, like, yeah, detail by detail. But also, I just feel like I did watch like a few of his videos on Rings of Power and just like saying like different things that he thought about it. And at first, I I kind of shared the sentiment because it was early on when Rings of Power was being developed. I'm like, yeah, they shouldn't do that, you know, that's like stupid. But then at this point, I'm like, he's 
he's got a point in a few areas, but also he's just super pessimistic about it. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to keep an open mind. I know a lot of it's going to be wrong and a lot of it's going to be weird because of the timeline, but I'm just kind of holding out for it. Like maybe it'll be really good. I know the production's going to be really good mm-hmm. and the writing's probably going to be really good. I just hope that it'll be it'll be as moving as a story as the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Like I'm not even kidding. The Return of the mo- <laughs> the Return of the Movie. <laughs> The only movie that's made me cry is Return of the King. Oh, wow. What so, part? At the very end the when very end. Uh, they're in the Grey Havens and Frodo mm-hmm. leaves and says goodbye to his friends. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah so, if it's, honestly, if it's got, if it's as compelling as that, I think it'll be a success. Yeah. And? Because it's one, it's one thing to have all of the, the lore and the characters and everything portrayed right, but it's also another thing to be able to make the story very emotional and compelling to make you really Mm -hmm. invested into it so i think honestly even if they get some of the characters wrong and whatnot if they can at least have some sort of emotional pull to it i think honestly i'll enjoy it yeah and like what you said with the you it's more important to you that they make it well like you're still important to you with the lore but that they make it emotionally yeah connected and everything uh like books the storytelling in books and the storytelling in movies and then even the storytelling in tv shows are different so if you adapted if you adapted Lord of the Rings directly to a movie, it it'd be super long, and people would still watch it, and enjoy it. But to most people, Peter Jackson's trilogy would be more uh, exciting, to, or they'd like yeah. it more because it's just a different medium. Yeah, but, exactly. You know, yeah, and yeah, and it'll be different too because this is a show and not a movie. Yeah. So it'll be a different way of storytelling. You know, it's going to be a lot more spread out, and we'll so. also have to see when that second age book comes out because yeah. i've like you said you surprised i think you said this earlier in a different episode they're probably drawing from that they have access to that if yeah. amazon so they probably have it. a lot more stuff to go off of now yeah so uh i'm excited i can't wait to get that plus the illustrated edition of the silmarillion's coming out soon too yeah yeah yeah, be excited for it. Yeah, so that's uh that's all that's going on right now plus we gave you all the information on little known or at least not as well known characters from the second age canonical characters characters Characters. um so yeah we gave you all that information plus we kind of made a story out of it sort of not really but yes Mm -hmm. um i don't know what do you want to do next episode should we i don't know well should we do the theological thing or should we no i think keep going on the rings of power because i think we should do that the rings we should go on the rings of power because after this episode there's only one more episode before the oh, show's yeah. release. Okay, so we should definitely do something to prepare for it. Yeah, so our epi- this is episode 28. Episode 29 will release on August 29th, which is two, Few days. four days yeah. before the yeah. show drops. So um, if any of you are actually willing to contact us, <laughs> let us know like what you want to hear like in preparation for the rings of power, like, is mm-hmm. there something you want to know specifically? Um, you know, is there a, another character you want to know more about? Is there like a whole story you want to know more about? Um, just lo- even background information, anything like that. If you want to know more about that, let us know. And we'll put that in the episode before rings of power comes out. Other than that, we'll just come up with something on our own. That yeah. We you can, you email us at exploring middle earth pod at gmail.com. Yeah. Or that'll be in the description. Or the yeah. description of this. Or we have an Instagram that you can DM us on. I go on there every once in a while. And Twitter. And Twitter. 
and Twitter. and MySpace. We don't check MySpace though, so <laughs> no, don't send just, don't just send us for, stuff on it's MySpace. Just there for giggles. Yeah. <laughs> don't send us stuff on MySpace. Yeah, because that's MySpace. That's MySpace, dude. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so that'll be it. And, uh, hopefully, you guys enjoyed this episode. I think yes. I want to try this again, the format that we did. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll just we'll get better at it as we go along, you know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's it for now. Yep. So goodbye. Goodbye.